Before we get started, Dead and Married would like to thank those very close to our Dead Black Hearts, our patrons. Thank you to William Rush, Karima Rhodes, my best friend and fellow Tom Atkins lover, Gary Horton, Carissa. Jonathan says thank you. Dr. Sexy himself, Kent Morton. Oh yeah. Kate Lamp, Travis's cowgirl, Lala Thomas. Hey girl. And last but certainly not least, our friends over at the Podmortem Podcast. You can also check out their very own show every Monday on all major platforms. And now, on with the show. My name is Travis Lewis. I am part of the Dead and Married podcast. To all cinema enforcement entities, this is not an admission of guilt. I am speaking to my family now. Ashley, you are the love of my life. I hope you know that. Aiden, you're my big man. To our fans, there are going to be some things that you'll come to learn about these films in the next few minutes. But just know that no matter how many spoilers there are, we only have you in our hearts. Goodbye. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dead and Married. I'm Travis. Hello, I'm Ashley. And? (laughs) And? 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 What are you thankful for this week? (laughs) I I am thankful for the emergency room. Oh, yeah, and uh, Robocop. <laughs> well, I guess he did go there. <laughs> oh, my God. it's It's been a very long fucking day. I'm sitting here. Th- this may be the first episode of Dead and Married that we've ever done where I'm probably going to be sitting here actively nodding off, even though we're talking about my favorite film of all time, probably. Uh, well, I think I stated back probably in our very first episode. Yeah, I was about to say you said that predator was your yeah. favorite of all time but i think maybe it was pillow talk we we did at, or i did at some point address that depending on what day of the week you ask me that robocop and predator could be interchangeable and that's no lie and we've actually we have been talking about covering this film or rather i have been talking you, about yes. covering this film for a while but you and i were kind of trying to discuss the parameters of what the rules are for our show until we realized fuck it there are no rules Well, I don't know if we decided that. You just no. decided you really wanted to do this movie. Well, okay. Backtrack again a little bit. We talked about maybe trying to broaden just a little bit those parameters into kind of doing horror adjacent. And then I thought, well, fuck it. Dead meat can cover Mortal Kombat. We should be able to cover RoboCop. <laughs> So here we are. I am thankful for RoboCop and Why? emergency rooms. Why are you thankful for RoboCop? <laughs> I that's that's a loaded question. I feel like it, it it would be a shorter list of what I'm not thankful for RoboCop were. Okay. Well, okay. That like, seems like that doesn't fit the episode necessarily. <laughs> I know. It's just when I try to think of everything, all the reasons that I love this movie, it, it's hard to, I mean, I guess we are going to sit here effectively for an hour and articulate what we love about this film or what I love about this film. But overall, it's it's kind of a hard thing to put into words for me. I will just say that I once heard Wham do a commentary, a live commentary or, you know, commentary. I can't talk. I'm very, very tired. I think I've already said that like twice. They did say that they don't make films like this anymore and I think for me that is the overall sentiment. It is it's hard to find a film outside of the 80s where you had something that was so brutal in such an adult film and yet you could turn around and merchandise the shit out of it to little kids. It's just shit like that doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) Well I think the standards have changed for what you (laughs) are allowed to merchandise to children. Right. (laughs) Because when I was a kid, they didn't they didn't care. No, they didn't. And all the RoboCop action figures were probably made out of lead, too. So. They probably were. <laughs> like, I had a chemistry set when I was a kid, and I'm pretty sure there were legitimately dangerous things in that chemistry set. <laughs> I don't know. It's just it, There's just a certain charm that goes along with this film, and we'll discuss the things that made it so charming throughout. But it just has a certain thing about it. Film today doesn't quite capture. You know, for a film that was low budget, even though it doesn't look like it would be, you'd never know how low budget it was with the things that they were able to get away with. And I know that somebody out there is going, oh, what about that horrible fucking stop motion shit throughout? This was like one of the last films that they used stop motion in before CGI kind of took over. And I I just, I don't know. I, I for one, happen to love stop motion. So every time I see it, I get excited because it's just so fun. I said, and and I think ultimately that's maybe if I had to boil it down to one thing, 
I'm thankful because I really feel like it's the last really good film of that decade. Okay. I don't know. Because there, there's other action movies that, that came out in the 80s. This one came out in 1987. Um, and as far as budget goes, it, what I could find said about $13 million. So I, I don't know that you'd still qualify that as low budget. Yes. I think it looks low budget by today's standards, but $13 million went a lot further in 1987. Well, it would have been 1986 probably when they filmed it. It, so. it is considered low budget now. Well, it is now. But I mean, what they had available to them then was not what it is now. Yeah. And they weren't making, you know, $150 million. Million dollar Avengers movies. Then I would imagine that thirteen million in eighty seven was still a pretty respectable budget. I have no idea. I've got it, it's more than they <laughs> spent on just Halloween. Telling you a lot you, more than they spent on Halloween. I'm just telling you that for most people that is considered to be low budget. Yeah, for what yeah. I'm just saying doing. that what that if you look at it now, if you look at the effects that are in it now, people would look at it and go, yeah, that's low budget. But it might not have necessarily been a time. It just looks that way now because that um, I guess technology had or to the, know you were going to pull Halloween the, out of your uh, ass. <laughs> <laughs> the science of special effects has progressed a lot and they just look better now than they used to. Oh, in some ways. And speaking of Halloween, Rob Bottin, everybody, this was, I had no idea. Like as much as I love this movie, I had no idea that he was the person responsible for RoboCop. That's because you didn't do the reading. (laughs) I mean, obviously he wasn't responsible for everything. We also had Phil Tippett of Jurassic Park, Notoriety, work on Ed 209, but Jesus, like, I'm, I, I swear to God, if I, if I was one of those people that did YouTube videos or whatever, I, I would just put together a Robotine highlight reel because the man's work never ceases to amaze me. Yeah. And a funny thing about that is that apparently Botine and Verhoeven just battled it out. Oh, yeah. Through this whole fucking movie. Yeah. Um, he, he was appar- apparently Botine had more than well, one beef on this film. Yeah. But the, what I what I had read about was that Paul Verhoeven was very, he wasn't the most patient guy in the world. Right. And and so he was constantly like, well, we need to get the suit done because they were having to change things and change the gun. And there was a lot to it, right? I mean, you're going to have to put a, a, a person in a robot suit and make it look believable right. on film. So it was it was a tall order. Well, and so he was pushing Botine to get it done. And Botine's like, I'll get it done when I fucking get it done. And I don't give a shit what you want. Right. And, <laughs> and not only that, he uh, was notorious for more, 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 more right. blood, more effects, more everything. But I think that's part of, would it be the film that it is today if he had not been that way? Well, I don't know. I just, I'm thinking that, you know, by the time they got to the end of this film, they weren't even speaking to each other anymore. Um, right. But ultimately they, didn't really they make, got back together yeah. for Well, they didn't, they didn't make up until the film was, I guess the, was officially released or the, whatever you call that, the initial, and they went in and watched it and then they were like, hey, everybody loves it. I guess we can be friends again. Right. And then they went on to do uh, Total Recall. So, you I know. mean, you know, I'm, I'm thinking when you think of Paul Verhoeven, hopefully Showgirls doesn't come to mind, but. Well, it does now. (laughs) You know, I always think of Starship Troopers, Total Recall, and I just think he just had such this wild imagination that I I really, I think I miss a lot. Yeah. Now he had a lot more, a lot more to do, I think, with Starship Troopers, right? This one, he was not the writer. I don't know. I don't know enough about Starship Troopers. I think Ed Newmeyer was the writer, I believe. He has a tendency to incorporate messages into his movies. Mm -hmm. Um, But even though he didn't write this one, this still covered, what was it? Police corruption and the brutality and increased militarization of police at the time. Sort of the fall of the industrial complex in America, I suppose, because a lot of it highlighted old Detroit. Right. And it was just sort of falling apart. And this was also at the height of Reaganomics and and excess of the 80s. and Yeah, yeah. A lot of yuppies. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, the rise of corporate America and the corruption that goes along with that. So Right. This is American Psycho with cyborgs. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But you're not the only person to like this movie. It's actually a 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb. That's yeah. I I would personally. It's not the worst. but it's not the worst one we've done. This is this is another film that I feel like qualifies as a perfect film. Now I know somebody out there is going, but again, this this is a movie a movie that every time I watch it, I feel as excited as I did when I first put it on. You know, it's it's one of those movies that as soon as you see that last title card before the credit end credits being in, you go again, again, and it's just because of this amalgamation of things that made it work that you leave the film pumped up, which is something that was sorely lacking in the remake. Should we decide we're going to discuss that? 
Yeah, this was uh, <laughs> very much an 80s movie in that the hero wins at the end. Yes. And then we, as we moved forward, there's a more, uh, a much dimmer view of the world uh, yeah. that got incorporated into movies where the hero doesn't always win. But right. at the time of this movie, yeah. And even the though- The good guy saves the day. We were still watching G.I. Joe on Saturday mornings. and Right. And even though this the hero does win in the end, this is still a very nihilistic film. It's still very gloomy in what it has to say about society and the people around us and consumerism and the state of the government and corporations. It's, it's you know, I, I know everybody calls it, I mean, it's known for being a satire, but at the same time, it just feels too realistic to me. Like Especially now. Like, yeah, like somehow this is, I could see how we could end up here. Apart from fighting crime, we also have this subplot of basically guys killing each other to be on top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing that happens. <laughs> I don't know. It, uh, would you? I guess you would call that the B plot, but that B plot is so good that it it doesn't feel like a B plot. It feels like it all is interwoven so well together that whenever you go to a scene of the yuppie drama, you're not going, "Oh crap, this again." You know, there's still so much of that storyline to enjoy that it doesn't feel like it takes you out of it. It forwarded the story, and they still, but they had to keep sort of some kind of action to move the film along. Mm-hmm. Because obviously you, can't, you couldn't have RoboCop in every single shot shooting people. It'd be a really short movie. And this one's like an hour and 42 minutes long. So they had a lot of time to fill. And you don't feel, I don't feel that time at all. I, I can't speak for you. I didn't either because I slept through the middle part. And <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so it felt a lot shorter. It is, that's a pretty long runtime for an 80s action flick. Yeah, I mean, they did, they had to keep it moving somehow. So that you've got Miguel Ferrer like doing cocaine off of an escort and <laughs> those guys <laughs> killing each other and throwing guys arms too long out the window like they just they had to they had to put some crazy shit in there or you would not buy this for a dollar at the bargain bin at walmart so, oh my god. Yeah. I do like that though. And I like that about Verhoeven's movies, how they he incorporates like the pop culture shit. Like you get TV commercials and news reports in the middle mm-hmm. of the movie. I don't know why I like that. I don't know. Because I'm a I'm a big child. That's why. Cookie. But that's cool. Yeah, it's just I don't know, it's just not you only really see that in his films. Right. And yeah. I think that's why and it's just different. I know there's a lot of people out there that enjoy the sequel too, and they did try to incorporate that stuff again, you know with the commercials but for me it did not work as well in that film i don't know it's like yes peter weller returned yes kane was a pretty decent villain and he he was pretty creepy um tom noonan's a creepy guy but at the same time it just it just lacked what the original had didn't he have a jetpack or is that the third one you're thinking of the third one. Is it the third one where like Robocop pre- gets a jetpack? I like to pretend it doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. We don't talk about that. <laughs> it's a silly place. We don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> yeah, we don't go there. Uh, if you're here and you've seen Robocop, obviously, you know, the the plot synopsis of the story, which is that this evil corporation is looking to fill the streets of Detroit with cops that aren't going to quit on them. Well, basically, it begins with their attempt to privatize law enforcement. Yes. Uh, and their method of doing that, I guess the beginning, it's, uh, it's supposed to be at 209. Right. Because that's who we meet first. Uh, the big, like, two-legged Star Wars walker guy. And he fails. Right. Why well, you could say he failed. Maybe he didn't. But they're he going did. they're going through this thing where, basically, cops are getting wiped out right and left. So they're trying to figure out a way that that is no longer an issue. Like, the way we have seen over time that, well, fuck, going to Walmart even, that there are less and less cashiers and you do self-check or... It, it's that big fear that everybody's always had that machines are going to replace us. Skynet. Yes. Skynet. <laughs> good, good example. But but yes, he's saying cops that don't need to eat or sleep, cops that don't go on strike, don't get killed in the line of duty, basically. And But in order for that to move forward, he I think, um, oh, I think it's Bob Morton that says they just got to wait for some poor schmuck to volunteer. And then enters Murphy, who's a, who's a good cop. And he's transferred from kind of a, so I very, would say, tamer very, department. Si- very similar to Predator 2, where Bill Pullman's... <laughs> 
or Bill, Bill, Pax- Bill Paxton, Jesus. where Bill Paxton's uh, character comes from. I guess he comes from a, maybe a, a better neighborhood, yeah, a little bit cushier. Because I think they tell him exactly the same thing. You got, we got to work for a living down here. Yeah, so they also it's the tell same him- thing. You got a good cop coming from a good place, going to a bad neighborhood. One of the cops tells him, "Welcome to hell." So he's a good cop, and like most good cops, or well, I, I want to say good cops necessarily. You get some cowboys in there that think they're going to come in and they're going to clean everything up all by themselves. And he and his partner, Lewis, hey, that name sounds familiar. Come in, they think that they're going to stop this robbery gone wrong and Murphy ends up paying the price and becomes our first volunteer. Yeah, because he goes full cowboy bullshit like 10 minutes after he gets there. Right. Like he checks in, goes, puts on his stuff, and then immediately Bam. he's he's they're driving down the interstate with him hanging out the window of his squad car with a pistol in each hand. I gotta tell you, this is, I don't love just a lot of Peter Weller stuff. Maybe it's due in part to the characters he has played since Murphy, but I absolutely adored him so much in this film that I have been willing to overlook every bad guy role he's played ever since. So you can overlook his role in Sons of Anarchy? And Dexter, yes. Wow. (laughs) I know. He does a bad guy really well, though. He does. He also does a good guy really well. Well, he did this one time anyway. He did this one time, yes. One of the things that I adore so much about this movie is that it's not afraid to go anywhere. Up until this point, without this being a full-blown horror film, this is one of the bloodiest, graphic, brutal movies I had ever seen. So apparently there were two cuts of this movie. Mm-hmm. And like the one we have would is what you would consider to be like the unrated version of right. the director's cut. Which is the only way to watch it. Because originally when they released it, the scene at the very beginning where Ed 209 just blasts the hell out of that guy in the boardroom that scene wasn't in there to that extent right and then the part where murphy dies yeah. uh, like where they shoot his hand off with a shotgun and it shows the bloody mm-hmm. squirting stump or that um, wasn't in there Boddicker's death at the right. end and it's funny because it's not cleaned up terribly well so you can tell where that added footage is because right. it's grainy and has cigarette burns and but i think that. that now i don't know that you can find the old version i think if you buy this movie this is the one you get i would would hope so because it, it really feels like this is the best way to watch it. But I'm not so old that I can't remember that original version. Right, right. But see, originally they had to submit this to the ratings board like a dozen times to get it to an R rating. I mean, it's understandable it, that they cut that stuff out to get it there because I mean, back then you just you couldn't show stuff like that in a movie and get an R. It was right. going to be an NC-17 or something like that. Yeah, and I'm as you guys are all well aware, I'm a sick fuck who sits there and cheers whenever there's like 500 squibs going off at once. But it's not even just that. It's like the sound design that goes along with all of them. Like for instance, whenever um, Bodker goes in to kill Bob Morton and he's shooting him in the legs and it just makes those weird flopping sounds whenever a bullet hits him in the leg. It's like, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's just so cringe inducing. Like it sounds so realistic. You know, it's not like your typical, somebody's just getting shot. Like whoever, the sound design is just phenomenal in this film. Yeah, they did a pretty good job. I think they did a particularly amazing job uh, when Ed 209 falls down the stairs and he makes squealing pig noises. <laughs> you better stop. When he's laying on his back, <laughs> kicking his feet, having a little temper tantrum because he, he's falling and he can't get up. I kind of sat and wondered because also being a giant nerd I'm like so who came first with the stair nemesis thing was that Ed 209 or was it the Dalek <laughs> I don't know yeah I'm gonna probably the Dalek because I think <laughs> I think that was way before Robocop well but was it but we ended with Kung Fu Panda so <laughs> but it's fine was it the whole thing of the stairs being its arch nemesis during the original run of Doctor Who or was this in the David Tennant era <laughs> Doctor Who. <laughs> Sorry, that's a question for another time. But... How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? <laughs> this is another film, again, like Predator. And, and again, maybe maybe it's one of the reasons I love it so much. That is also one of the best quotable films that there ever was. I've got so many favorite lines of dialogue, so many favorite scenes because of the dialogue. That is just, I, I cannot watch this film and not sit and recite almost every line that there is and Travis can probably tell you he's had to sit there at a bunch of times but I don't know I I think that's part 
of what's made this film endure as well as it has. But Travis asked me 20 minutes ago why I was thankful for this film, so... 24 minutes ago, specifically. <laughs> and I, yeah, I went on way too long. So, honey, <laughs> light of my life, why don't you tell me what you like about it? Oh, man, that's tough. I told this you. kind of your movie. I told you it's a loaded um, question. I think the effects are, are good for the most part. So the gun that RoboCop uses is a real gun. It's a Beretta, was it a 93F or something like that? They were going to use a Desert Eagle, but by the time you get all the, the parts onto Peter Weller, even a Desert Eagle looked too small. So it's a real gun and it's a highly modified Beretta. By the time they got done with it, the gun was illegal. They had to do <laughs> a shitload of paperwork to even have it. It's a badass gun. So it And is I a, don't even like guns. It's a pistol with a 50 round magazine that fires in three shot bursts. <laughs> so illegal. But I like it that they actually did it instead of trying to do some sort of visual effect for that or just crap around with it, you know, and just end up with something dumb. I think it's cool that they built a gun that really would do what it shows it would do in the movie. Now, the downside of that is that every time he shoots someone, it's three squibs instead of one. So they just tripled the number of squibs they had to use in this <laughs> film for every time he shoots somebody. So I like that. I think they, there was the, you could see that there was an investment in the effects, RoboCop's armor and that sort of thing. Um, I feel like for a movie like this, where you're going to have robots and cyborgs and whatever, you kind of have to put the money there because I think we've both seen movies where they try to incorporate that and then they control the budget and don't throw enough money that direction. Just looks cheesy. <laughs> they had some good inspiration for the actual suit too because I think where it originally began was with Judge Dredd. That was that, I mean, Verhoeven has said himself that that's kind of where the inspiration laid, but you also see Metropolis on this. Oh, it, it, it's hard. And ultimately, I think they went with a Japanese designer, some artwork, and I, and I, I wish I could remember the artist's name, but there, there was a lot of inspiration on how they wanted this particular suit to look. And like you were saying with the special effects, I think it really shows because even just to look like when Murphy takes his, I guess you call it a helmet, when he takes his helmet or face mask shield off, that look between what's organic and what's machine, I think looks really amazing. Well, that was one of the big battles between Batine and Verhoeven is that Batine wanted it to be dark uh, because he was worried that you would be able to see where, where the makeup was, right? Mm-hmm. That it would just highlight it. Verhoeven wanted it to be very brightly lit. Um, and then he ended up winning that argument. And then that's the reason you see it in full light. You mean Boutine wanted it no, brightly lit? No, Boutine wanted it dark. Okay. Because he was afraid you'd be able to see all the makeup. Like it would make it very obvious that it's makeup. And... I mean, you can, but it still looks good. Where Verhoeven wanted it to be very brightly lit, so it would be more of a shocking type of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Verhoeven won the argument mm-hmm. and got it brightly lit because you see him several times in good light. They don't ever try to hide what it looks like. And I still think it looks good. I do too, and I love the subtleties there that you can see the head wound from where he was shot in the head. Like, yeah. There, there's so much about that that's great. Yeah. But I guess back to my original point, I like it that they recognize that in a film like this, the visuals are going to be the thing that people are focused on. Everything is going to be secondary to the visual piece. Like the story is kind of a secondary thing. It, you know, I understand. I, I, I'm really right. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying that it doesn't matter how good the story is. In a film like this, where you've got so much crazy shit happening, if the visuals are bad, it's not going to matter how good the story is. Like, the visuals had to be first. They had to be good. And they just happen to have a decent story to back it up. Kind of coming around from that, I feel like they had a good cast in this. Peter Weller does a good RoboCop. Mm-hmm. Originally, they were going to cast Arnold, uh, but they decided he was way too big and that the suit wouldn't fit him. I mean, let's not just make a bigger suit, for the love of God. Please, don't make a bigger suit. Oh my gosh, the suit is plenty <laughs> big. Can you imagine? how much bigger it would have been. Arnold, he would have been the same size as Ed 209. I get that. And and I understand where that would be appealing for you. But I feel like it would be too over the top. To me, that would have just been too much. It, it could have been. It might have been. Uh, Weller did a good job there. Connell Cochran makes a good... <laughs> Sort of final boss, even though they don't fight he's him not, at the end. I was going to say, he's not the final boss no. until like part um, three, I think, that we don't talk about. Kurtwood Smith, I think, really is your primary antagonist, sort of, to me. He is. He's one of the all-time and, great villains Well, originally, ever. he was going to be the Connell Cochran character, I believe. Really? Yeah. And he and, doesn't, that character doesn't even have a name. I think he's just referred to as the old man. Right, right. So originally, I think he was going to play that character, and then through casting or whatever, they switched it around and made him sort of RoboCop's primary antagonist. Uh, they were worried that casting someone bigger than him would make it look like, well, okay, he's just a big dumb guy. All we have to do is outsmart him. 
So he the fact that Kurtwood Smith had glasses made him, according to Verhoeven, seem to be a more intelligent villain. Uh, yeah, I can see that. That you couldn't simply outsmart him. But I think he was an excellent choice for that role. He plays a bad guy really well. He really, really, really I'm, does. He's, he's a... He... I don't know if I'd say he's an underrated actor, but... I would say that. He's a very good character actor. Yeah, absolutely. Because as a child, I was actually afraid of Clarence Boddicker. Yeah. Like, I, I would say, and, and maybe this is just a nitpick, I would say that these villains, this group of group of thugs, they are, they can kind of get to the point of cartoonish, right? Well, they're, a, they're a little over the top. Well, that's kind of where I was I was going. There's the guy with the laugh. That's Joe. Just, I think he's his. It's just too Joe. much. Um, <laughs> the bald guy with the motorcycle. I should know these. Like we should look these Emil. up. Emil. Emil. He's just irritating. I can't. You're remember. some kind of college boy or something. <laughs> I can't remember the actor's name, and I feel awful for that. But that actor in particular has, for some reason, it must be in his contract or something that he has to have the most brutal death every time he's in something. Oh, because really? not. I mean, everybody should be familiar with his over-the-top death in this film. But in The Blob, he also got folded in half. And then I believe when he was starring in the show ER, he got crushed by a helicopter. Like, the dude just does not know how to go out easily. Nice. But no, and that's not, I'm not complaining about the actors themselves, but the characters that they played were a little much, uh, which brings us around to Ray Wise. <laughs> I had a really hard time seeing Ray Wise making the cartoon character faces that he makes in this film. <laughs> Particularly when he's in the club and Robocop grabs him by the hair and he gives you the Kevin McAllister, like, ah, you know, (laughs) screamy face as he's dragging him off. Um, Leland Palmer doesn't act like that. Okay. Oh my gosh. Clearly, if, if you're going to reference Twin Peaks, clearly you've not watched it enough. I guess not. when you're seeing him as possessed by Bob, he's very much over the okay, top. Okay, but that's not what I think of. I think of like when he realizes that he, what, that he was the one that killed Laura Palmer. Yes. When he realizes that he killed his daughter. Like the dude's capable of some really powerful acting. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so that's what I think of when I think of Ray Wise. And not this. To name a controversial. <laughs> film series. I also, when I think of Ray Wise, I think of his character in Jeepers Creepers 2, where he's kind of a badass. And when right, right. when you see him in something, you automatically expect him to be that really badass character. Or, oh my God, this is a deep cut. You remember that show Reaper, where he was the I devil? I do. He was the devil. Yeah. He was fantastic <laughs> he as was. the devil. He was. I, I love Ray Wise as an actor. He's, he's terrific. Right. The guy who played the number two, and I've seen him in a ton of movies, and I can't think of his name. Who is it? The number two. Neither of us did the fucking reading for this. <laughs> Who's the, I thought that Ray Wise's character was the no, number two. No, no, no. I'm two? talking about in the company. The one right under the old man. Oh, Ronnie Cox. Yes, Ronnie Cox. <laughs> Sorry, you jumped from <laughs> one group of because I'm evil talking guys. about the actors. <laughs> one group of evil um, guys to the other. <laughs> he... He, uh, he's good. He's always a good villain, though. Well, he said up until this point, he had always played good guys. You know, like if uh, another... You would never know it to see him in this film. Another deep cut, uh, The Beast Within, where he's playing this sympathetic father whose son is, is metamorphosizing more. <laughs> right. But I guess what I'm saying is... <laughs> Into is a, a giant locust. You you would never know that he has a history of playing good guys. Right. When you watch him in this movie. Yeah, he's terrific in this film. And then, of course, um, now I'm drawing a total blank. <laughs> Cocaine off the escort. Who's that guy? Miguel Ferrer. Yes, Miguel Ferrer. Fuck you, Albert. Speaking of Twin Peaks. That's right. Um, he's always good. Yes, absolutely. He's, he's always good in any movie. Like he, well, he was good in The Stand. Yes. Um, actually, he was really good in The Stand. And yes. I'm talking about the original TV version. Um, but and in this one, he's great. I've seen him in a ton of stuff, and he's oh, yeah. always he's always a good actor. Yeah, he he's not typically a good guy in stuff either. I mean, even though he's a good guy in Twin Peaks, he's still an asshole. He just plays that asshole character. He's really so good well. at playing that role. Yeah, yeah. Rest of not soul, necessarily a reflection great. on the individual. I'm just saying that he, he's a good actor for that. Yeah. Um, I think Nancy Lewis. No. Nancy Allen? Nancy Allen. <laughs> yeah, that too. Wishful thinking I don't on your know part, why huh? Why am I in charge? Yeah. Why am I in charge of names in this episode? <laughs> Fuck me. Um, 
No, Nancy Allen, she does a good job too. Yeah. This um, was this was one of the first films I had seen her be a protagonist in because I had always just associated her with her character in Carrie as being this over the top evil bitch. So it was nice to see her not only as a good guy, but to see her be a badass. And it's it's kind of weird to see her be the badass because she looks like she's just sweet. You know what I mean? Um almost a Princess Leia type character here. Well, because like she's pretty and then she'll shoot you in the face. Yeah. You know what I mean? I I loved the introduction of her character where the first thing we see of her is her just handling this dude. Well, that's what I mean. You see her and you're like, oh, she's cute. And then she just beats the hell out of that guy. And you're like, (laughs) okay then. So that's how it is. Yeah. She's just, she's so cool. And uh, our daughter, London, has recently expressed interest in wanting to go into law enforcement herself. And I told her, that's cool. You can cut off all your hair and then you can be Officer Lewis. Right. (laughs) So kind of not, I'm not necessarily keeping my fingers crossed for that one but it'll be a running joke if she happens to follow that career path right but yeah so i guess the act what are we talking about effects we talked about the acting i feel like the story is serviceable there's nothing wrong with it it clearly was written with the idea that we're going to convey a message right and we already kind of talked about that they had an agenda when they when they wrote it which is fine there's nothing wrong with the story and it moves along pretty well there's also a jesus christ metaphor in there too and doesn't hurt that he walks on water at the end of the film Well, he just walks in very shallow water (laughs) Um, right before they drop some metal scrap on him. Um, I feel like the score is fine. I like it that you get a don't don't give me that (gasps) face. Um, I do like it that they gave him a theme song, something you can recognize. Hearing the Robocop theme music is like hearing hearing, uh, the music from Predator or you know what I mean? Like you you recognize that. It's like it's like in a horror movie, you know, when they when they play the Halloween theme, you know exactly what it is. So they give you a good recognizable theme song for your, it's, for your it's hero. It's not just his theme. The, the score of the film overall, I feel, is one of the great all-time scores in film. And and maybe it's because they used the same um, the same person for Starship Troopers. Those two themes are very, very similar. So whenever I watch Starship Troopers, I get automatically put back into that frame of mind where I've just watched the most badass thing to ever badass in badassery. So <laughs> I love that score so much. Yeah, I, I appreciate it anytime they give you something memorable, I think. so. There's like, I don't know, there's just that one scene because you, you get just your normal score throughout or whatever. But when Robocop first leaves the precinct and he's just driving off into the night and you get the just the swelling of that theme, it's just, it just sets the tone for the rest of the film. Yeah, I Avengers like. Assemble. Let's go. <laughs> Exactly. It just it's it it just pumps me up every time I hear it. So I think it's great. And then there's I feel like throughout it's used very well to convey mood of a particular scene, like the scene where he's revisiting his old house and he gets very upset when he starts recalling memories of his of his past life. Um, there's a lot of subtleties in there as far as stings when you know something's not on the up and up or something bad's about to happen. Suspense action sorrow it's it's all there it it was it was done very very well well if you look at the person that did the score for this uh, his name's basil poladuris mm-hmm. i think i'm getting that right he also did the music for conan the barbarian and um starship troopers or he was involved with the sco- I said with starship troopers not a minute ago yeah you did and <laughs> <laughs> but they, they sound very similar yes so. yes but those both of those films also had really good scores so i agree well uh i don't think i've seen conan enough I know, I know, I know. Oh, I have. It was on TNT, (laughs) movies for guys that like movies. A lot. It was on there a lot. It was either him or Clint Eastwood. It was one of the two all the time. Please consider joining our patron. (laughs) That's right. But no, and then something that I don't feel like is talked about enough in this film is its cinematography. Now, obviously, we're not talking about something that reinvented the wheel like Dean Cundy and Halloween or whatever. But I think that there is some great shit throughout this film, cinematography wise, uh, shot wise. One of my favorite shots in particular is the scene where Robocop or Murphy has had the standoff with Emil at the gas station and he blows 
blows up the, or Emil blows up the gas station and Murphy shoots out, I guess, one of the tires of the motorcycle that he's driving off in. And he's walking away from the explosion. There's this really tight shot of his face as he's walking toward Emil. And that is one of my favorite shots from any film ever. Like we we were talking about it as we were watching. I was like, this is probably one of my favorite shots I've I've ever seen in a movie. Well, the DP was uh, Jost Vacano. And I believe he was, he's, I believe he's a Dutch cinematographer, I think. But he had already done The Boat. He did Das Boot, which is also <laughs> The Boat. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking. Pretty much the same name. I was thinking of Angry Beavers. He, <laughs> das Boot. <laughs> Also a good one. Yes. Um, he went on to do Tales from the Crypt, Total Recall. He also did Showgirls, Starship Troopers. The guy, the guy's done a pretty good body of work. Yeah. And, Verhoeven uh, definitely has a, a team of repeat offenders. He's got all his people that he just takes with him. Oh, you just reminded me of one of my favorite lines in the movie. What's that? I am I I am what you call a repeat offender. I repeat, I will offend again. Yes. <laughs> I love that line. You think that's something that Verhoeven had said to someone before and he was like, hey, let's put that in the movie. (laughs) I don't know, but I have used that line so much in particular in regards to our children. So (laughs) they are also repeat offenders. So we we could talk about that for a minute. What what are what are some of your favorite quotes from this film? I like that one. Yeah. A lot. Um, <laughs> let's see. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. Yes, That's of course. That's just kind of a badass sort of thing. Your move, Creed. Yeah. I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> Bitches leave. <laughs> so... I, that's not that's not like it's two words i know but it's but the way perfect. kurt woodsmith delivers it like he's walking he doesn't break stride he doesn't even look at him yeah. it's like he catches them in his peripheral vision he's walking in he's talking to miguel Ferrer. bitches leave and i love it <laughs> i i know as a woman i shouldn't love it but i love it just the same Gee, Bobby, he, leave, bye. he leaves no room for argument <laughs> I don't know. It's not the line so much as Smith's delivery of it. Right. Oh, my gosh. Like, zero fucks given. (laughs) There's also this scene that cracks me up so bad. It's like, they're doing a news segment on the cops going on strike. And so, they interview a couple of people. And there's one guy going off about how cops are not supposed to strike. But then, they interview this other guy. What is his name? Like, oh, man. Like, Kiva Rosenberg or something like that. And it's this crazy guy who looks like he might be homeless or a bum or something with this crazy ass hair and he starts going off about oh my gosh how does he say it like it's nothing free because there's no guarantees it's law of the jungle hoo-hoo. it's like <laughs> such a funny part there, there's so many parts that are just hilarious but even stuff that's not necessarily quotable but it's still Peter Weller's delivery of the lines are just perfect like one of my favorite scenes of the entire movie is when he first comes into the precinct and he's in the room where I guess it is his resting room I don't know what you'd call that um, it's the room where his chair and his baby food are is <laughs> his home base and and uh, Bob is asking him what his prime directives are, and the way he's the way he repeats it back is just is perfect. And I don't I don't know it, it's. <sighs> There's like there's got to be like 10 more or 15 more 20 more lines that I love in this film and that's one of the things that that makes it so perfect. And it's the same thing like if you were to ask me what my favorite scene of the film is, I'm not sure I could pinpoint it to one particular scene. There's so many scenes that are just fucking phenomenal and they all happen just back to back to back to back. Like I mean even just to start when he first enters like I said enters in and repeats back his prime directives or whenever he is driving off and the theme music swells or the taking down of the rapists in the parking lot shooting the dude in the dick your move creep damn it butters (laughs) yeah stop shooting people in the dick yeah taking out the guy in in the the gas station robbery and and bending the barrel of his rifle in half and this is gonna sound really fucked up and i don't mean to but even murphy's execution is a brilliant scene it's that's it's rough. That's a. Uh, it's hard to they, watch. They linger on that, you know. Um, and you know what though? Really, with that one, when it shows him like at the very end, and he's clearly dying, and it's clearly an animatronic. It's still a pretty good animatronic. I was gonna say, I don't know that it's clearly 
an animatronic, but it's, it's good. It's, though. it's very well it's done. It's good. Like you can tell it's not really him, but it looks good. Um, damn for me, favorite shots. So I like the scenes. scene. Scenes, scenes. Whatever. It's all the same. <laughs> um, when he's after he shoots Emil's motorcycle and the the gas station explodes behind him. The scene I just brought up. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I'm just I'm copying your homework. Um, I like that. I like it when he's walking into the police station for the very first time. Yes. But before they show him, when you just yes. see sort of his silhouette moving behind everything, because I feel like they gave it up on the first date there. Like they didn't. They show him like full too soon. I don't think so. I think I don't, there's build up to it because you have the scene where they unveil him, they pull off plastic or whatever, and you don't see him. You just see his pixelated perspective. Well, you get a POV shot. Yeah. They. I feel like they led into that pretty. I, I could have gone for a little more foreplay than that. Oh like, my see gosh. him like in shadow or something like. I don't know. But it's like he walks down the hallway and then bam, there he is. And you're like, oh, okay, it's that guy. But I like that when he's walking and you can, like they all the cops are watching, they can't really tell what it is. Uh huh. And you can hear the footsteps. I feel like that's. Yeah. That's pretty good. It's um, so good. Oh, it's so good. It's bonerific. One of my other favorite scenes is when uh, Dick Longarms Jones. <laughs> 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 gets thrown out the window. Wacky, waving, inflatable, flailing, yeah. like two bands. Just because that scene's so hilarious. I, I don't understand. Why did... Goddamn, guys. I mean, did you look at the dailies and go, that looks normal? <laughs> Shut it. It's like Freddy uh, from when he's like running his arms down the... You know? Yeah. Like, it's like they just threw Robert England out the window. <laughs> I don't know. That scene, it's just funny. That's the reason I like it. It is. But then it's followed up with another great scene, which is the end of the movie. And I think I brought it up last week, you know, nice shooting son, what's your name, Murphy. And even a few minutes ago when we finished watching the movie, I was like, now that's how you end a fucking movie. Like, yeah. it's perfect. I like it when you see Ed 209 for the first time too. Yes. When it comes walking in. I get it. It's claymation. Let's, or whatever. Stop it's motion. a model. Whatever. Stop. <laughs> it's only a model. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I really liked it. And I, I don't care that it's stop motion. Um, especially I when I was a kid. adorable. Especially when I was a kid and you see it for the first time, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> like, that's awesome. Man, I'm, that's still, I'm still fucking brokenhearted that my quarter scale Ed 209 got broken in our move. Like, yeah, that sucks. That was a big ass Ed 209 too. Yeah, because I think when uh, when we bought it originally, it was probably just under a hundred bucks. And so when it broke, I was so upset and I was like, oh my God, we have to replace it. The thing has gone up to like $300. That's because you'd had that thing for a while. I did. I had it for a long time. And... Yeah, it's just... I'm pretty sure somehow this is your brother's fault. You're probably right. Because I can imagine him just chunking boxes because he was sick to death of moving us. Yeah, <laughs> I was sick to death of moving us. <laughs> That's fair. But still, like, you don't just throw boxes into somebody's house, Yeah. Dick. Yeah. Um, okay, I got one more. One more. After Dick Jones dies, right? Very end of the movie. And uh, Joe Cox, <laughs> played by Jesse Goins. And he's looking at the guy and he's just like, he's giving the, like the Wrigley Spearmint gum smile and thumbs up I he's just like mixing oh up yeah characters here am i yeah because i'm pretty sure joe cox is one of the henchmen oh okay well i'm thinking the one i'm thinking about is the guy who was hang, hung out with uh miguel ferrer's character all the time yeah it was like his best friend or whatever maybe i'm getting the characters yeah. tastes confused. like baby food guy yeah that guy <laughs> Tastes like baby food. Um, and just when he gives him the thumbs up, he's like, yeah. Yeah, Joe Cox's mind if I zip this up. Oh, is that him? <laughs> yes. But yeah, I just thought that's hilarious that everyone, everyone's glad he's dead. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's just such a corny shot, I think, <laughs> that whole scene. Well, like he plays, he goes in there and he gives the spiked middle finger to the machine or whatever, you know, and he plays back that footage. I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a right. mistake. And he, the look he gives. Like he just snaps his head over like I knew it. <laughs> he gives him the Thor. Yeah, it's 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 perfect. That that guy was pretty funny. Uh, I think later on in the sequels he also turned into a big douchebag. But in this movie he was fun. He was more. I won't say comic relief, but I mean, he was he was clearly the comedy sidekick yeah. uh, to Miguel Ferrer. But oh, that scene right there it just kind of cracked me up a little bit. There, There's another one that I really, really love. And it's the scene where Murphy takes down the cocaine factory. And he just is taking Boddicker and just throwing him through window, through window, through window. There's so much fucking broken glass in this film. Like everybody's going through a window or getting thrown through glass at some point. So they went through a lot of... <laughs> 
after a lot of glass yeah. for this film. But I think it's better when they bring when he brings him in and he says, "Book him." Oh, if I and then he's Ooh. and he's like, "For what?" And he said, "He's a cop killer." And Kurtwood Smith just turns around, and spits blood on it. And he's like, "I want my phone call." <laughs> yeah, like, just give me my fucking phone like, call. <laughs> that's a badass guy right there. He really is. But if if I could change one thing about that scene, and we were talking about it off mic, I wish that I think it would have been a little bit more impactful if when Sar the sergeant said, "What's the charge?" If he would have said, "He killed me." See, I thought that. I I think that would have been if he just said really it. dramatic. If that's the axe that slayed me. <laughs> no. John dies at the end style. I yeah. I understood that now reference. That's a, yeah, but everybody else might not have. That's a deep cut. But you haven't read the book. Read the book. It's awesome. Don't watch. Well, you can watch the movie, but read the book before you the watch movie's the movie. The movie's good too. But wrapping this thing up, we've only got a few minutes left here. Why don't we go ahead and address the big chrome elephant in the room? And that is, why did I choose to discuss this film? Why do I feel like it's even relevant in terms of being a horror film? Because somebody out there saw that we were covering RoboCop and said, that's not a horror film. I said that. You did, but I'm sure somebody else or five said the same thing. So I think I discussed it way back, probably in one of the pillow talks, that I considered this film to be a body horror. I understand that it is an action film, it is a sci-fi film, but I have I too giving shout outs to our patrons William and Gary, who said yes, this does qualify as a horror film. I let me allow me to explain my Myself, and then maybe you can you'll probably disagree anyway just knowing you but I I always have a tendency in film to put myself in the protagonist or antagonist shoes and if I had one nice thing to say about the remake it would be that they did kind of go there for a minute in the scene where Murphy's body is getting taken apart and he's aware that it is and he's watching his body being, I don't know what word I'm looking for. He's fully self-aware of what his body has been through. And in that one scene, you can go, holy fuck, that would be terrifying as a person to sit through. But even then, I still feel like that was completely soulless, I guess. And in the in this original film with the execution of Murphy, I feel like it's it starts there where you're like, you're watching yourself get, not only get murdered, but tortured because they they fuck with him for a while before they actually, you know, before Boddicker says, all right, fun's over and then puts a bullet in his head. At the point where Murphy becomes self-aware that, oh, I'm dead and then is seeing, kind of becoming aware of what his body has been through. That's a horrific notion alone right there. But they did not shy away from the horrific aspects of this as far as the violence, as far as the gore, because we'll, I'll go ahead and talk about it. The scene with Emile's demise, that, I don't know that it gets any scarier than that in a film. And it's for the same exact reason. Imagine you're you're going and you're trying to kill this dude and then, oh, you accidentally drive into a vat of chemical waste. Next thing you know, you're watching yourself melt. That's fucking terrifying. So while it's not from start to finish a horror film, I feel like there's a a lot of components in there that make for body horror. Yeah, I... I would agree, but I think they should have explored more of the psychological effect on Murphy um, after the fact. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because clearly he's experiencing emotions. He's having nightmares. When he goes back to his house, he gets angry. So, I mean, there's still, he still has the capacity to feel as a sort of, but they never really go into, I guess, him dealing with un acknowledging that he's dead and then acknowledging that he is being kept alive artificially as a machine that no longer has full control of himself. I think they explored a little bit more in part two. There's the scene where his wife goes to visit him and he says they made this to honor him which is kind of creepy and sad so I feel like they, they do a little bit later but I can see what you're saying and that maybe that would have made for... It just seems like that part would have hit him before that uh, I need to go get revenge sort of feeling. You know what I mean? Like there would have been the shock of having to deal with your current situation before you're like alright now I'm mad and I'm going to go deal with this mm -hmm. and he went straight from I guess, I don't know, he accepted it very quickly. <laughs> 
you know, he because he went to his house, he got mad, and then he's like, well, I'm going to go kill these guys now. You know, I just don't. Well, I think that's more in the scene where he takes off his mask and he has a look at himself and is like, fuck. Yeah, I just feel like that wasn't as impactful it as was, it could have been. It was to me. I I felt like it was very impactful. But I feel but like there sh- they could have given, they should have given that a little more time because I don't think he would have gotten over it that quickly. Okay. I think the shock of it would have been much more severe. Gotcha. But if I, I just everything that I have heard from Peter Weller, he went very method in this role. He had people call him Robo on <laughs> set while he was wearing the costume. Yes. But I would imagine that it would be a very melancholy place to be if you were trying to put yourself in the shoes of that character. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't know. I just feel like they could have dedicated more time to that side of it. Like it would have lent itself more to the horror probably piece uh, in dealing with the psychological effects of his situation. Yeah. So before Verhoeven was hired to direct this film, Cronenberg was actually thrown in contention for this. And I can't help, as much as I love this film, I can't help but wonder what a Cronenberg version of this would have looked like. I would imagine that would have been even more gory than what we had, you know? Yeah. It would have been a completely different film, I think, with Cronenberg behind the wheel because this was in the 80s when he was still doing crazy stuff. Right. And yeah, it, it I, might I have been. I think he might have made it lean more into the, that horror. You probably would have gotten a lot more psychological horror and body horror out of it. Yeah. And it, I think that the uh, the violence probably would have come secondary to that. The Him hunting people down. I'm sure it still would have been gloriously gory, <laughs> but I feel like that would have been secondary to everything else. Right. So I have been begging and begging and begging Travis because probably, maybe not to diehards, but probably to casual viewers might not be in the know that this mostly was filmed in Dallas. So an hour away from us and I believe their city of Dallas building. Yeah, the well, what they used as the, I guess the front for the police station was, is Dallas City Hall. So I've never been there. Uh, it would be, it might be cool to drive by, I except you'd really have to drive, except you'd have to drive in Dallas to get there. And I don't do that. You do do that. No, you I do, don't. Yes. You just usually have to have a good reason and we That's have- That's not good enough. <laughs> it is for me. Okay. <laughs> we have driven to the Dallas World Aquarium. We can drive to fucking whatever building it's called. <laughs> yeah. But no, that's kind of cool. I mean, I, I don't know. It's neat. You're when trying to say that Dallas looks like Detroit? Well. I don't think that's fair. <laughs> depends on what parts of Dallas you've been to. Um, but yeah, and so they had what they had wrapped or something like that. And they filmed some of it in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. at an old at The an old steel factory. mill yeah. scenes, I believe, so. were, were uh, Pittsburgh. But they used, they just thought this one building was in particular, in particular, I can't talk all of a sudden, really cool looking. And I believe they used a lot of matte stuff behind that, paintings and such, because they were trying to go for this kind of Blade Runner aesthetic. Yeah. It is a very imposing building. It's very cool. It, it looks extremely modern for the time that it was shot. Yes. Please send all of your hate mail to Travis. I can give you his email after the show when, you know, without his knowledge and tell him, what is the matter with you? Take your wife to go see this damn building. <laughs> We've been to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre locations more than once, and he's never taken me to see the RoboCop location. This is true. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I I got to think that Peter Weller wearing, who knows how much that suit fucking weighed. I think I saw somewhere they said it weighed about 80 pounds. Yeah. And that when they first started filming with him in the suit, he was losing like three pounds a day in water weight. Yeah. In this heat, I can believe and it. And they finally installed some form of air conditioner on the suit. Yeah. I guess just to move air around inside it so that he didn't die. Yeah. And even then, I still can't imagine it was comfortable. But, no, no, it wasn't. Apparently it had pinch points. It took him a while to get it fitted. Mm-hmm. And then like when you see him getting out of a car, like he was already halfway out when they started filming because he would not fit in a car with the whole suit on. <laughs> so like when you see him driving, he's only wearing the top half. He's sitting there in his underwear with just the top half of the costume on. Yeah. Uh, which is. <laughs> Sorry. They just that. You, uh, as soon as you said that, it made me think of the movie poster where he, it's just like him kind of. I can't he's remember. He's got one foot in the car and yeah. one foot on the ground. <laughs> it's like part man, part machine, all cop. <laughs> yeah. But he, he couldn't get in the car with yeah. all of it on so that's that's crazy um before we talk about uh one last thing i want to touch on who's your favorite cyborg robocop or the terminator terminator damn i knew you were gonna say that <laughs> don't ask me i'm not answering <laughs> 
Don't make me choose. Yeah, I choose the Terminator. I choose Arnold. And by the same logic, do you consider at least the original Terminator to be a horror film? Ooh. See, I do. I That's another don't one know I do. about that. I do. I think I'd have to watch that one again. Usually when we watch a Terminator movie, we watch T2. Yeah. Dude was murking people left and right, picking them off slasher style. And then- He really was. And the part where like half of his face gets blown off and you can see the red eye or whatever. Yeah. Like, that's pretty, it's pretty gross. I mean, you could tell that it's fake, but. Right. Well, it's, it's more stop motion. It was pretty stuff. shocking to see. It was. Back in the day. For real. Like there's even shit in T2, which I would not in any way, shape or form consider to be a horror film in, by any means. But there's still some shit in that that's pretty gruesome. Yeah. And there were people that saw that in the first Terminator where part of his face is gone. And they were like, I knew it. I knew Arnold was a robot. <laughs> Yeah, the scene of him digging out his eyeball or messing with the hydraulics in his arm and yeah, and that kind of shit. That, yeah, I I, I think still I know that I would call it a horror. I movie. would, I would, but that's neither here nor there. So you wanted to talk about the remake? Uh, I don't know that I want to necessarily. I just don't know that you can talk RoboCop without talking about the fact that it was remade. Okay. So I blame Joel Kinnaman. Oh my God! <laughs> Leave Joel Kinnaman alone. Not really. I I just don't know. That wasn't that wasn't a remake that needed to happen. No, to me. it wasn't. I don't feel like they needed to do it. They tried to update it and it just didn't work. Full disclosure, the first time we saw it, we did like it. I remember us enjoying it a lot. But I think for me, that was just that I loved the character so much. I loved the franchise so much that I just wanted to see it in any medium. You know, because we've had the cartoons. We've had the, the shitty TV shows. We've had comic books. We've had every medium just about that you could think of for this character but you had one failed film which is part three and all of a sudden everybody just gave up so I was excited to get a remake whether it was needed or not just to keep this character alive. So I think that you know you said we liked it the first time around well I liked Avatar the first time (laughs) I watched it. The one with the blue people? (laughs) The one with the blue dances with Smurfs. Yeah dances with giant Smurfs. So Ferngully. Is it a lot of it was the same sort of thing like you watch it the first time and you're like yeah that's pretty cool and then the second time you watch it you're like why the fuck did I sit through this whole thing the first time it just like it's just cool because you haven't seen it before the first time but after you've seen it you're just like no (laughs) no I don't think so I understand the intent there that they wanted to update this story the problem with that is in updating it it felt too updated if that makes any sense it was too clean too commercial too something it just didn't have the grit or the balls that the it was original very, had. very, very polished. Yeah. And one of the things that this the original has going for it is that it's supposed to be set in Detroit in a crime-ridden thing, and it feels gritty. And the new one just didn't. I mean, it was it was it was squeaky. It was so clean, and I didn't go for it. Right. Then let's be let's be honest. RoboCop had already been remade. You know where I'm going with this. Basically, the Crow was. Oh my God. The Crow is RoboCop, <sighs> except they use a dead guy instead of a dead guy in a robot suit. So by that logic they also did batman again what do you mean well i was watching a review of the crow a few nights ago and they were like this is batman no it's not because batman didn't die <laughs> he didn't he really didn't it, it's it's he's taking vengeance on his parents dying but he did not die yes robocop died and they brought him back yes and the crow he died and came back <laughs> and then one by one he goes through and he picks off the people responsible for his death until he gets to the main bad guy it's the same movie i think what they were trying to say is you have this vigilante that hunts at night. I I get it. (laughs) I do. I'm just saying that like if you look at the actual storyline itself, there's been plenty of vengeance films out there. These those two are really similar. Yeah. Although I would say that the crow probably in terms of being compared to Batman would fit better with a Robert Pattinson Batman aesthetic. Yeah, probably. Than the Michael Keaton one. Stylistically I can see where you would say that Batman and the Crow are very, very similar. Because they're both they're at night and it's dark and I would also say that Eric Draven is probably closer to the Joker than Batman, but... Eh, maybe. (laughs) At any rate, Robocop just... It it kind of felt like Iron Man a little bit, too, in that he got this suit that had all these nifty perks and bells and whistles and all this stuff. Go-go gadget, hip gun. Yeah, and that they had all of these other droids. Where was it? Afghanistan or Iraq or whatever, where it felt like the thing that Tony Stark was talking about, about putting a suit of armor all over the world it it kind of felt that way too a little bit see to me the beginning of it was like attack of the clones (laughs) similar in quality as well (laughs) 
In um, what way? They're both bad. Oh, <laughs> I'm being serious. <laughs> I am too. Um, <laughs> no, no, I agree. That it, but by the time you catch up to it in the remake, the suit of armor around the world's already happened, sort of, mm-hmm. where they've made Ultron, sort of, and just turned it loose in all these various war zones. And I don't remember where it's supposed to take place, but yeah, and you see, or it's what it makes it on TV, right? Where one of the droids, drones, cyborg, well, it's not a cyborg at this point, kills a child, an unarmed child or something like that. And that's when they're like, we need more human control of it. And so enter Joel Kidman getting turned into one after he dies. Right. I don't know. It just, I don't know. Like I said, it it felt too updated. Well, that's because when they made that movie, there was a big stink over the drones that our military is currently using. And they were talking about, though those could be technically automated. And I guess the big talking point there was you have to maintain some level of human control. We don't want a machine deciding on when a human dies or not. They were probably touching on that. That was the intent there. But So, yeah. So, kind of like in the way the original film was a commentary for what we were doing with our law enforcement. This was a commentary over what we were doing with our military. Right. I don't know. It just, yeah, going back, it, it, it was just a completely unnecessary film. It felt heartless, soulless, and a cash grab preying on people's nostalgia for the original film. So they're just, I said it at the beginning of the episode, they just don't make films like this anymore. And our, our side, our, our one of our patron shows, again, check that out. We were talking about how there was a certain point in time when we were children that they had these larger than life heroes that you could root for to save the day and it made you feel like you like inspired almost. And for me, that's what this film feels like. Yes, it's dark and gritty and over the top and extremely violent. But at the same time, it is a very inspiring film. Well, back in the day, all all those action films sort of followed the Rocky Four plot line. I guess. If I can change and you can change. <laughs> yeah. No, where you've got your hero and your hero starts off and everything's good. And then they kind of get beat down a little bit and then they work hard and eat their spinach and they come back. And at the end of the day, <laughs> they beat the hero or they beat the villain and they win. Right. And then that was yeah. like, that's all the action movies in the eighties sort of followed that where Rocky's got to fight Ivan Drago and win at the end. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we're raised on. Yeah. But now the hero doesn't always win. Right. So there was something just, even though they were enormously violent, there was something slightly more uplifting about those movies because you knew that, I guess, good triumphed at the end. Yeah. And then they decided they'd make them realistic because realistically the hero doesn't always win. Sometimes the hero just dies, but <laughs> that's right. But uh, yeah, I guess that was sort of, this is how we want the world to be back in the 80s as opposed to how it really is. Yeah. But that's going to do it for this episode of Dead and Married. I am thankful for RoboCop. Honey, why don't you tell the fine folks for what you're going to be thankful for for our final week of November? I already did that. I did that last time and you were like, well, you're just giving it all away. <laughs> I did, but announce it again anyway. Or so help me. Or so help me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember what that's from. Uh, so next week we're going to be doing Army of Darkness. Woohoo! Oh yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready, baby. <laughs> I get to spend an hour and some change talking about Bruce Campbell. And his enormous chin. We're going to talk about Bubba Hotep, and we're going to talk about My Name is Bruce. Why are we going to talk about Bubba Hotep? Because they're all Bruce Campbell movies, and they should all be watched. Okay, but we're not talking about them. Well, you don't have to. But I can. But seriously, folks, we will talk about and I will explain why Army of Darkness is the greatest horror movie ever made. Is it really a horror film? It really is. (laughs) Says the person who chose Robocop this week. Are you going to argue (laughs) against something that's a sequel to Evil Dead? No, I'm not. I am not. But guys, I just want to say one more time, if you enjoyed this episode where we delved a little bit more into the action side of things, please consider pledging to our Patreon where we have another sideshow called All Out of Bubblegum where I think next week we are going to be discussing last action hero hell yeah (laughs) but until then take care guys bye what would you do to save the life of a teenage boy if you subscribe to our patreon for just three to ten dollars a month you can get aiden out of the industrial size hamster wheel we use to power our show for that you'll get access to bonus content and allow me to remove aiden's handcuffs he doesn't run worth shit with them on anyway also be sure to show your support on our social media pages You can find us on Twitter as TravisL80 and SpookyMom83. Thank you for your consideration.